I'm not necessarily preaching uh, so much of a sermon today. I really want to have a heart-to-heart with you guys this morning uh, and tell you a little bit about what's been happening with me and my family lately. And I hope that's okay. One of the unique thing, things about being a pastor, being a shepherd of a, of a church is you kind of, you kind of live your life out for everybody to see if you're, at, if, you're doing, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're not being fake or you're not, you know, whatever. Uh, and so it's a, it's, a weird, it's a weird thing living your life uh, in front of uh, a bunch of people. Uh, but I've, I just want to have a heart-to-heart with you guys this morning. Um, in August of 2017, while we were on another trip visiting Texas, we're visiting family and friends, um, I was meeting with the lead pastor of our parent church. Um, and during that meeting, you know, not this past August, but the August before, he told me because that for up until that point, they were actually uh, paying for our full-time personal salary, right? So we could come up here and plant the church and we could focus on the church and all of those things. So they were paying for our full-time personal salary. And so in that, in that meeting with them, he told me, hey, Steve, I think by next July, July of 2018, we're not going to be able to support you full-time anymore. And so uh, around the same time that that was happening, uh, God was also starting to speak to me about the possibility of changing locations from the Upper West Side up here. Uh, and, so, and so we had that conversation. And so this past July, four months ago, uh, pretty much all of our personal salary and personal support has ended. Uh, and so for the last four months, Priscilla and I have really, uh, we've, you know, we've lived it firsthand what it means to say we're living by faith because we don't know where our next paycheck is coming from. And so for the last four months, we've been living by faith. Uh, and for the last four months, God has provided in amazing, amazing ways and some of the most unusual ways and, and things like that. And so God has been faithful and he has been providing for us. Uh, you know, our expenses have continued, but our set salary has sort of stopped. So, and, and I want to say this, we are so grateful for our parent church, the Grace Place in Texas. They supported us full-time for three full years, and they're still giving a little bit, but it's nothing compared to what was coming in. And so, um, and so you know, we, we're dealing with this personal side of our, what we're going to do with our salary, and then, and then we end up in June, we move our church from the Upper West Side to Hamilton Heights, and God has really blessed us while we've been here. We've almost, we pretty much doubled in size from where we were in the Upper West Side to where we are now. Uh, and that's only by the grace of God that that has happened. And so we're really grateful. But that leaves us with a couple of options. I can go and get a full-time job and, to supplement our income or try to supplement our income and divert attention from our young, growing church. Or we, Priscilla and I, can continue to live by faith. Uh, God has also been providing her with photography jobs uh, and so, and, and the kids with modeling jobs. So we're, we're just, it's just kind of crazy right now, but God is, God has just been providing, but we can, we can live by faith and say, God, 
We're going to continue on and put all of our attention into, the, into this young and growing church and just believe that you're going to provide or I can get a full-time job and, and be bivocational. And here's the truth, if, I, if I'm being honest with you. I'm sure that there are plenty of them out there, but I have not personally met a pastor who was uh, a lead pastor that was bivocational, a, a lead pastor that was bivocational that was both happy and effective. Because it's just, because a young, growing church takes so much time, it takes so much energy, and then on top of that, you're spending all of your time uh, at another job. I, I've not met one. I'm sure there's some out there, but I've not personally. Uh, when I talk to bivocational pastors, they're always lamenting the fact that they can't spend time with their flock. They can't do what God is calling them to do. They're always rushing their messages, and they can't really seek God and what he's trying to say to the church. And so everybody suffers, yeah. right? And so I say that to say this. As of right now, Priscilla and I are going to continue to trust God and believe that he is going to provide for us. Um, we believe that our God is big. We believe that our God has called us to New York City. And so we're going to continue to walk by faith and just believe that God is going to provide for us. I don't know how. I don't know from where it's going to come from. But we believe that he is going to provide for us. And he has, in amazing ways, the last four months. So where do you, the church family, come into? If you're a first-time guest or if you're not a part of the Grace Place family, this is a great Sunday for you to be here because you're going to hear where we're kind of at and you're going to hear where we want to go and things like that. But this is for the church, the, 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 the people that consider our church family. Where do you come into the picture? Where do you fit into the puzzle in what I'm talking about? Well, God is going to provide for us one way or another because he's called us to this city to plant this church to build a life-giving church that exudes kindness, God's kindness, right? But if you are a part of this church family, he is inviting you to be a part of this. He's inviting you to be a part of the vision that God has given Priscilla and I and to come alongside of it and to take ownership of the vision and make it your own as well. Listen to the Apostle Paul writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, who is pastoring a church in Ephesus at the time of, of, of this writing in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. The pastors who lead the church well should be paid well. They should receive double honor for faithfully preaching and teaching the revelation of the word of God. For the scriptures have taught us, do not muzzle an ox or forbid it to eat while it grinds the grain. And also the one who labors deserves his wages. When I say that our goal is to become a self-sustaining church, what I am saying is that through your generosity and through your obedience to God's word when it comes to finances, that we would be able to pay all of our bills as a church, rent, storage, our monthly subscriptions, uh, our benevolence to people, in our outreach costs, uh, the, you know, things like this Thanksgiving meal that we want to bless our church family with things like that, that we would be able to pay all of those things and then have enough to pay for the living expenses of the pastors of the church. So when I'm talking about self-sustaining, that's what 
I'm talking about. And it's uncomfortable for me to talk about money. It's uncomfortable to talk, for me to talk about our situation. It's uncomfortable for me to be transparent and vulnerable. But there have been multiple leaders in my life that said, you need to tell your church this. You need to let them know what's going on. And so that's, I'm, I'm trying to submit to my leaders. And, and I, I just am being uncomfortable up here in front of you guys. So that's what I'm talking about when I say self-sustaining. So right now with our monthly giving from the church, from our people, the church family, right now with our monthly giving, we are at a bare minimum to just pay our bills as a church, as a church. Uh, thank God because of a big gift a couple of weeks ago, we're able to at least have some savings in case of an emergency for the church. But with our monthly regular giving, right, we're just able to do the bare minimum, okay? We have about 27 adults that are regular attenders here at the church. Adults, not kids. But less than 40% of the 27 regularly give. Less than 40%, okay? If you are a part of our church family, here is my proposal to you. Would you climb the ladder with us as we believe God for self-sustainability? Would you climb the ladder, this painted up raggedy ladder? Would you climb this ladder? I ain't climbing yet, but okay, yeah. Would you climb this ladder with us as we believe God for self-sustainability? And I'm going to talk about what that means, what the latter means here in just a moment. But I want you to have that question in your mind and in your heart as I'm going to talk uh, about this topic. Generosity is rarely an immediate thing. I know in my life, God has stretched my faith in the area of finances in increments. It hasn't gone from zero to 60, right? I haven't gone from this step up to this step just like that. It's, it's come in increments. It's been a process for me. It's been a little bit at a time where God has dealt with me in the area of generosity. And my guess is that he's doing that in your lives as well. Um, I am more generous today than I have ever been in my life, even though I have less today than I have had in a long time. I won't say uh, that I've, I have less today than I've ever had because I've been, I've had less. I, I, I've, I've had a lot less. But I, I'm more generous today than I have been than any other time in my life. And um, just to give you an example, uh, I looked over our financial giving for the year uh, this year. And even though we have been without a set salary for the last four months, we have almost matched our giving with two months left in this year uh, from our entire giving of 2017. Wow. Even though we haven't had a set salary in over four months. And here's the deal. Uh, generosity is not about how much you have. It's about whether Jesus has captured your heart or not. That's what generosity is about. If he's captured your heart, you won't be able to help but to give. You won't be able to help but to be generous. And God wants to take each one of us on a journey of generosity. He wants to take each and every one of us, uh, no matter what our current salary and financial, socio socioeconomic situation is right now. He wants to take each of us where we're at, and he wants to take us on a journey of generosity. And the longer you walk with God and the more he captures your heart, the more generous you will become because you realize that you can't take any of this stuff with you. We can't take our cars. We can't take our jewelry. We can't take our clothes. We can't take our apartments. We can't take 
our homes. We can't take our investment accounts with us. When we're dead, the only thing we're going to take with us are the people we impacted eternally. That's all we get to take, folks. That's it. We can't take anything else. When Adam and Eve, when God made Adam and Eve, he made them naked. And when we get to heaven, we probably will be naked. I don't know. I don't have a scripture on that, but we probably will. We don't get to take any of this with us. <laughs> when those of us who have put our faith in Christ get to heaven and hear our Heavenly Father tell us, well done, good and faithful servant, it's not going to be based on how much money we have in our bank account. It's not going to depend on how high we climbed up the corporate ladder, right? It's not going to be based on how, many, how popular we are, how many friends we have. Well done, good and faithful servant will depend on what we did with what, gave us, with what God gave us. What we did with what God gave us, the talents he gave us, the finances he gave us, the, the mind he gave us, the heart he gave us, what we did with what God has given us. Did we spend our lives on his work or for our personal comfort? So here's the deal. Before you start any journey, you have to identify two things, where you're currently at and where you want to go. When I want to get somewhere where I've never been before, I get on my Google Maps app and I have to put in my current location and then I have to type in where I want to go and then my app will calculate the fastest route to get there. But you got to know where you're at and then you have to also know where you want to get to. And the same is true in developing a generous heart. We must identify where we are and then determine where we want to go. And a perfect way to illustrate this is a ladder. Ladders are designed to help you get from where you're at to where you need to go. If you're currently at the bottom of the ladder and you want to get to the top, which I don't recommend because it's kind of dangerous, but if you want to get up here at least, how do you get there? One rung at a time. It's a series of steps. And the, tr the same is true in our generosity journey. You see, everybody's at a different level in their faith when it comes to generosity. And God often leads us through a series of steps to grow increasingly generous as our hearts remain yielded to the Holy Spirit and as our hearts become captured and captivated by Jesus. And as your pastor, my heart is for all of us together to grow in the area of generosity it, because it's an important part of being a disciple and a follower of Jesus. This is part of it. And so uh, we, we've got five steps uh, uh, to the giving, the generosity ladder, okay? And I'm asking you, let's climb this thing together. And so uh, the first step is getting your feet wet giver, okay? Second step is the consistent giver. Third step is the tither. The fourth step is the sacrificial giver. And the fifth step is the legacy giver. And so uh, let's look at the first step of the ladder, and it is the getting your toes wet giver. I don't know about you, but when I go to the beach, okay, or when I go to a swimming pool, I don't just jump in. I, when I'm at the beach, I don't just run into the, to the ocean and then go under the water. I get my feet wet first, and then I get my shins wet, and then I work my way to where <laughs> I go up to my waist, 
and then I decide whether or not I want to go all the way under. But, but the first step is to, is to get onto the, uh, the, the shore and at least get my feet wet, okay? The person who is on this step of their journey uh, to generosity is someone who has maybe never given anything to God. They've, they've never given anything to God. Uh, but they've decided that they're not satisfied with being a spiritual consumer, but want to start being a spiritual contributor. And here's what I've discovered. The first step is often the hardest step. And once you take that first step in faith, the rest of the steps become easier and easier and easier. And I want to look at Luke's gospel. And in the passage that I'm reading, Jesus was sharing a story with his disciples about an unrighteous manager that was squandering his master's possessions. And so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 16, uh, starting with verse 10. And it says, The one who manages the little he has been given with faithfulness and integrity will be promoted and trusted with greater responsibility. But those who cheat with the little they have been given will not be considered trustworthy to receive more. If you have not handled the riches of this world with integrity, why should you be trusted with the eternal treasures of the spiritual world? Verse 12, And if you've not been proven faithful with what belongs to another, why should you be given wealth of your own? It is impossible for a person to serve two masters at the same time. You will be forced to love one and reject the other. One master will be despised and the other will have your loyal devotion. It is no different with God and the wealth of this world. You must enthusiastically love one and definitely reject the other. If I may interpret what Jesus is saying in modern terms, you can't be married to God while dating money on the side. You can't be fully committed to God while you're dating money or something else on the side here. Okay? Money is, is not a good side chick. Okay? You can't be married to God and be dating money on the side. If you are here today and you have never given to God through giving to your local church, you must understand, as the Apostle Paul says, we are not our own. We have been bought at a price. When we become followers of Jesus, we are no longer in charge. We are now stewards or managers of everything God has given to us. Our time, our talents and abilities, our finances, who we connect to relationally on a deep level. All of these things must come under the lordship of Jesus. And we must become stewards and managers over these things. And Jesus is teaching us in this passage that money is a better servant than it is a Lord. We can either use money or money will end up using us and spitting us out. Faithful use of one's earthly wealth is repeatedly tied to the accumulation of treasure in heaven. Following Jesus includes allowing him to have reign in how we spend our money. Jesus tells us in this passage that if we're not handling our earthly money faithfully and with integrity, we can't be trusted with the treasure in the afterlife, right? In other words, if we can't let go of our money here on earth to invest in God's kingdom, we can't be trusted with true riches once we get to heaven. So today, if you haven't given control over your finances to Jesus, I'm simply challenging you 
take your first, just take a first step, give something to God, and trust him with that. I'm not telling you to get to step five. I'm saying just take one step and see if God doesn't come through. Amen? Let go of some of that control that you have over your money and give it over to God by faith. I'm not trying to tell you what to do with your money. I'm trying to simply say what Jesus and the Word says about our money. Amen? The second step of the ladder is the consistent giver. The consistent giver. The consistent giver is someone who regularly gives something to the local church and other kingdom causes. This is a person who doesn't come to church empty-handed. More times than not, you're going to give something in the offering. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. Now remember this. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows generously, that blessings may come to others, will also reap generously and be blessed. Sparingly means infrequent. That word sparingly means infrequent. The entry level of us walking in financial blessing is to understand if we want a consistent financial harvest, we need to consistently sow financial seeds. This principle works in other areas of our lives as well. For example, if you want somebody to smile at you, what do you need to do? Smile. If you want more hugs in your life, what do you need to do? I'll show you. Come on, baby. See, don't be complaining that you don't have enough love in your life if you're not sowing seeds of love. Amen. This does not just work with our money. This works with anything in our lives. And, and here's the deal. We don't give just so we can be blessed because that would be giving with selfish motives. But when we give out of a pure heart, it is inevitable that we will be blessed as we're blessing others. This passage indicates that we should have a systematic, consistent way to give to God. You see, a farmer that wants to plant crop in a field, he doesn't just go to his field and just start throwing seed, like, randomly, right? I lived on a farm for a few years uh, when I was a teenager, and on this farm there were thousands of acres of, of, of cornfields, and they were in perfect rows. And how did that happen? Because the farmer sowed seed and in, 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 in an organized, consistent fashion, and so he reaped a harvest in a consistent fashion, right? The same is true of generosity. Part of your budget should include generosity. I know in your budget it includes, or it should, rent, right? Yeah. Utilities, groceries, recreational activities. Well, it should also include giving or you will never have enough to be generous. Man, the third step of the ladder is the tither. The tither. The word tithe that we find throughout Scripture literally means a tenth part or 10%. Okay? The first mention in the Bible of tithing is found in Genesis chapter number 14, verses 18 through 20. And it says this, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. 
And blessed be God most high who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. For those people who say that tithing is part of the the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Old Testament law, I think it's interesting that Abram was exercising this principle before the law and before any scripture was available. When Abram was doing this, there was no Bible. There was no Old Testament covenant. There was no Mosaic law. Abraham was before Moses. Listen to what Jesus said about tithing in Luke chapter 11 and verse number 42. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. We see here that Jesus seems to be endorsing tithing as well. The person on this rung of the ladder is one who tithes the first 10% of anything that they make and is trusting God to provide through the remaining 90%. Anything that you make, if you make $100 a week, you're giving $10. If you make $1,000, you are giving $100. So anything you make, you're giving 10%. And what you're saying is, God, I'm giving you this 10%. But I am believing that you will provide through the 90% that I have left over. And let's get, this, let's get this straight. Tithing is not just a percentage issue. It's a heart issue. It's about your heart, and it's about trusting God. Amen? It's saying, God, throughout the Bible, throughout scriptures, the principle of tithing is mentioned. So I'm going to freely give this, and I'm going to trust you with the rest. And the fourth step of the ladder is the sacrificial giver. We're starting to get into the superstar and the rock star here. The sacrificial giver. This is someone who sacrifices a part of their lifestyle in order to become more generous. This is someone who says, I don't need more of this. I don't need more of that. And what I would spend on my own pleasure, I am going to instead invest in the kingdom of God. This is a person who loves the Lord so much that when they get a raise or promotion at work, their cost of living doesn't go up. Their cost of giving starts to go up. And so when they get a promotion, when they get a raise at work, they're excited, not because they can buy something new. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's because, man, I can give more. I have more to invest in the work of God and what he's doing on this earth. I have more to invest in the vision that God has for this world. Amen? That's a sacrificial, that's the fourth step. One, two, three, four. That's a person that's standing right here. That's that's how they view life. That's how they view money. Where I don't necessarily need something else, but I can now invest more in the work of God. This is a person that really understands what the New Testament teaches concerning generosity. Um, In 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, verses 1 through 5, it says this. Beloved ones, we must tell you about the grace God poured out upon the churches of Macedonia. For even during a season of severe difficulty and tremendous suffering, they became even more filled with joy. From the depths of their extreme poverty, superabundant joy overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity. Verse 3, 
For I can verify that they spontaneously gave, not only, get this, not only according to their means, but far beyond what they could afford. They actually begged us for the privilege of sharing in this ministry of giving to God's holy people who are living in poverty. They exceeded our expectations by first dedicating themselves fully to the Lord and then to us according to God's pleasure. Man, we have been so inundated with the prosperity gospel that says God wants us all rich. And if you'll name and claim what you want, God will give you the desires of your heart. But look at these first century churches, the people in these first century churches and their heart of generosity. Uh, People say, well, I would give, but I don't have any money. Paul tells us here that the people in these Macedonian churches, that they were experiencing extreme poverty. Can I tell you that when someone in the first century in this area says that they were dealing with extreme poverty, that's way worse than any of us are dealing with? Yet, despite their extreme poverty, the joy that came from their relationship with Jesus overflowed into extravagant giving, into extravagant generosity. These people sacrificed in order to give beyond what they could afford. Amen? Uh, A few months ago, um, uh, yeah, a few months ago, God challenged me. Um, I shared with you some of our financial struggles that we've been having and things that we've been working through. Well, a few months ago, God challenged me to give a double tithe. And so for about three months, in the middle of all of this stuff happening, God said, I don't want you to just give 10%. I want you to give 20% and see what I do with that 80%. And it was scary, but it was also exhilarating to see how God provided for us. It was amazing. It was incredible, but it was an absolute step of faith. And it, I mean, it it took some major stretching on my behalf in order to do that. But I saw God faithfully provide through the remaining 80% of what was coming in. Amen. And then the fifth and final step of the generosity ladder is the legacy giver. The legacy giver. The people that Paul talks about in the passage in 2 Corinthians that we just read about were not only sacrificial givers, but they also were legacy givers, meaning they gave extravagantly to the kingdom of God. A person who gets to this level of generosity is someone who deeply understands what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew chapter 6, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me tell you something, church. Our hearts will always pursue what we treasure. Your heart will always pursue what you treasure. A legacy giver is pursuing God's heart by seeing how they can contribute to his work in the world. A legacy giver wants to be remembered for what they gave, not what they took. Okay? When you hear that term legacy giver, you probably think of someone who gives a mega gift, right? You're thinking of someone that gives something 
incredibly large and everybody's like, whoa, what is going on? And while that may be an example of a legacy giver, it's not the only example. In fact, the example of a legacy giver that I want to look at uh, uh, actually comes from the most unlikely source, much like the people in the Macedonian churches that we read about. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, Jesus is watching rich people in the temple as they drop their offerings in, in the collection box, and he's seeing rich person after rich person just drop all sorts of money, and they even have extra coins, so it's like making extra noise as they drop it in, in the box. And, and then a poor widow comes by, and she drops two small coins in the collection box. And after Jesus observes this, this is what he says in Luke 21, verses 3 and 4. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. And if I could get uh, the worship team up, why would I consider this poor widow woman a legacy giver? Why would I consider her on the fifth rung of the letter? Of the ladder, I mean. Because what she's remembered for is what she gave. That's what she's remembered for. Her extravagant giving defined her legacy. And church, what we do with what God has given us here on earth, with our time, with our gifts, with our abilities, with our finances, all of these things with the way we treat people, all of these things, it's creating a legacy. It's creating what we're going to be remembered for long after we're gone. And is what you're doing right now, is anything you're doing right now, is it going to live beyond you? Because one thing I know is that none of us are going to live forever here on earth and what we do with what we have while we're here on earth will be what we are remembered for and a legacy giver is not remembered for what they took they're remembered for what they gave 2,000 years later when we talk about this poor widow woman we talk about her faith we talk about her courage to give everything that she had. And Jesus noticed it. And he said, she gave more than all these rich people. Because it's not about the amount. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. And she's remembered for what she gave. So here's my question as we're going to end today. Where are you? on the generosity ladder in your own personal generosity journey? And where do you want to go? What's your next step? Are you willing to climb this thing with us as we believe God for self-sustainability, as we believe God for long-term impact in New York City? If we're going to become self-sustainable, we have to stop saying it's going to happen when we get more people. we got to stop saying that. That's got to that, that's leave our vocabulary. 
even though that's true, we have to grow. We all need to get on board now, right? We, we can't look around and say it'll happen when somebody else comes. It'll happen when we start getting rich people in the church. No, we all have to get on board now. And it's going to take every one of us asking the Holy Spirit to challenge us and help us to get to the next step of this ladder. So where are you at on your generosity journey and what's your next step? Maybe for some of you, you've never given before. And so what the Holy Spirit is challenging you to do is get on step one and just give something. And maybe some of you are on that step already. You've given before, but God is saying, I want you to stretch your faith and I want you to now consistently give. Maybe you're on step two and you've been on step two for a while and God is saying, I want you to think about a percentage. I want you to think, I want you to go deeper and I want you to really trust me. Maybe he's even challenging you to give 10% and see what he does with that 90. Yeah. Some of y'all, I'm going to keep going. Some of y'all that have been tithing faithfully. Maybe God is saying, you want to really trust me? Give to where it hurts a little bit. Maybe you need to alter your lifestyle a little bit in order to give more. Thank you. Thank you, brother. And if you have given on that level before, it's time. It's time to be a legacy giver. What do you want to be remembered for? I don't want to be remembered for falling off this ladder. <laughs> what do you want to be remembered for? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? I want to leave a legacy for my kids and my kids' kids that, man, I want to be honest with you. Every time we go to Texas, I leave a little bit guilty because my kids never asked I didn't ask my kids when God called us to New York City. I didn't ask to take my kids from their grandparents and their family and their friends. I didn't ask. And so every time we go back, I feel a sense of guilt because they're so sad. I mean, they love the city. They, they love being here. But after they've been spoiled like crazy by their grandma and grandpa, we've got to take them back. And I feel a sense of guilt about that. But at the end of the day, what I really want my legacy to be to them is that mom and dad heard from God to do something crazy, to move across the country and to start a church to reach people that are far from God. And they answered that call. That's the legacy I want to leave for my kids. And I want them to do that in their own life, wherever life takes them. I want them to live by faith and answer the call that God has on their lives, regardless of what it requires, regardless of what it takes. I want to leave that kind of legacy for my children and my children's children. I, I, want, to, I want to leave that legacy for the person that takes over this church after me. I want to leave that legacy that, man, Pastor Steve, man, he was a man of faith. And he gave. He was a generous man. He might not have had a lot, but what he had, he was generous with. 
He was a good steward. He was a good manager. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.